I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, Jason Churkis here. In light of the tragedy unfolding in Houston, we thought we'd do something a little different this week. Instead of our planned episode, we dug up an interview we did last year. We previously thought it just wouldn't fit for this season, but in light of this week's events, it suddenly seems timely. In it, we go back to the last time the country confronted a serious disaster in the Gulf of Mexico. We are talking, of course, about the 2010 BP oil spill. In the spring and summer of Obama's second year in office, that spill dominated the news, The images of oil gushing out of an underwater pipe were everywhere, and it just seemed like the oil would never stop spilling. Here, we had a man-made disaster, an oil company's risky overreach resulting in tragedy. We seemed to constantly be wanting to challenge the limits of Mother Nature while ignoring the consequences, whether it's overdevelopment in Houston or drilling in deeper and deeper depths in the Gulf of Mexico. Sam and I talk with Ben LeBolt, who worked communications in the White House covering energy and the environment. We asked him what it was like behind the scenes, how an administration confronts a 21st century problem with no easy solution. Take a listen. <clears throat> Why don't you say who you are first and what your position was at the time of the BP oil spill? I'm Ben LeBolt. Uh, in 2010, I was assistant press secretary at the White House, and I handled uh, communications related to energy and the environment. Okay. So that made you, what, semi-chiefly responsible for communications on the BP oil spill? Uh, I, I was certainly uh, a I, I was part of a very, very broad team that included a lot of agencies, but uh handled communications for uh, Carol Browner and all the energy advisors uh, advising the president on the spill. Had you guys ever discussed or gamed out like, all right, what should we do in the case of an oil spill or an environmental disaster in any way? Well, I think we, to this, I we had rapid response structure in place that worked across issues. And each spokesperson in the communications office was assigned to a set of agencies. And one of the surprising things about working in the White House is uh, you you would think that everything is a top-down structure where you can kind of dictate the events and announcements of the week, but quickly realize that uh, the bureaucracy is constantly moving forward. What was the first time, the first moment that you heard about a spill happening in the Gulf? Well, I remember it clearly. It began with a powerful explosion less than 24 hours ago. I was off 
uh, at a friend's wedding in Palm Springs. A column of flames shooting into the night sky over the Gulf of Mexico. And I remember seeing the incident report and thinking that uh, this was just the typical uh, the typical incident where uh, something happened offshore, it was responded to quickly, uh, dealt with, and over. Uh, little did I know that months down the road, my, I'd be all consumed uh, working with others uh, to deal with the problem. That oil spill, wow, in the Gulf of Mexico, it is now much worse than anyone thought. How does it go from being, a, oh, it could just be another incident to this is something we need to get a hold of or handle on? Well, I mean, the bottom line is the the problem got worse. The oil didn't stop. Uh, it became clear uh, after a series of days that assumptions about oil companies having the capabilities to respond to leaks and contain them themselves was not actually true. It's so big they might have to call in the troops to prevent an ecological nightmare. Early on, did you get a sense from BP that they were in over their heads or they were bullshitting you guys? You know, they, uh, it was, it was interesting. There are a couple of layers to this. Um, One, um, they put out, I believe it was their chief operating officer, uh, who we called the thank you for smoking guy. <laughs> and he would go out on cable and make it seem like everything was under control, uh, that they had the ultimate sympathy for people uh, being affected in the Gulf and all of their resources would take care of the problem. Uh, and I think that turned out to be just words. Uh, <laughs> You know, you think um, the answer here wasn't some legalistic contortion about, um, you know, the law says BP is responsible and so they'll handle it Um, to um, appointing a national incident commander to take control of the response. That sounds like a small thing, but it was actually a huge bureaucratic task. Uh, because of the dozens of agencies that need to get involved in a response like this. There are so many equities from the people who control um, the natural resources themselves um, to the Coast Guard, to the Department of Homeland Security, uh, to getting people with specialized expertise like at the time the Secretary of Energy, uh, Stephen Chu involved who had some of the most innovative ideas during the response. I think there was even talk about uh, bombing the source of the oil spill at one point as potentially the only option to close the spill. McCain. <laughs> <laughs> he proposed it that. It came from Stephen Chu. But the bottom line was the public was never going to be satisfied until the oil completely stopped flowing. How, how soon, how quickly, maybe in the first couple of days, the first day, did Katrina come up in the White House? Remember that uh, that this crisis built over time, not overnight. Um, if you look back at the first headlines about it, it really seemed like um, a, a regional issue um, in an, an unfortunate incident, um, but an incident that occurs in this industry with more uh, regularity than you might think. I mean, the beginning was just that 11 people died. They were missing. There was an explosion. There was a fire. And then the secondary story seemed to be the oil. And then eventually it sort of changed. There were people who made the argument at the time. I think for the White House, for the president, for people who worked in the White House, um, 
this was a very early lesson in um, how easy it was to get overtaken by events um, and to have a very clear agenda uh, get knocked off course um, because of something that you didn't anticipate. Well, give us specifics. Up. How did you how did you change course? Like, is there something that you remember where you just couldn't do because of this, or a, a thing you put out that you felt like was rash? Or I mean, for weeks at a time, you couldn't really make any proactive announcements or spend any time at the briefing on any other subject. They wanted to know, uh, you know, not that many incidents rise to the level of an Oval Office address. If you look back at the presidency. Yeah. That only happened a handful of times. But it does seem like all the stuff that you're talking about, the different activities, the communications on the ground, all the different agencies that are sort of combating this, the press releases that list all the different things you're doing every single day, seems to send one message and one message only. We're not attacking this the way George Bush did in Katrina. Like, he was criticized for lack of effort or interest or flying by. It seemed like, was that a motivator or a lesson learned, like, okay, we're not going to do it like they did. We don't want to get that criticism. Well, I think that was. I mean, look, the the Bush administration, uh, you know, had what appeared to be uh, a deferential attitude toward Katrina where, um, you know, again, maybe the law said the state or the city should be the primary um, governmental body to respond to the incident. Um, but if the perception is that the president should be dealing with an issue, um, he needs to be on it. The American people need to see him on it. Um, and our efforts uh, were focused on being transparent about that. I mean, you had meetings with um, BP officials that weren't taking place at a law firm down the road. They were taking place in the Roosevelt Room. And they would walk in in front of the press corps to see those meetings and those negotiations taking place. Part of this was making clear that um, the White House viewed BP as responsible and they were going to hold them accountable on behalf of everybody in the Gulf. And they were going to be compensated for that. I mean, there was a reason early on when some news reports called this um, the Deepwater Horizon spill that we were clear, no, this is the BP oil spill. Yeah, It's their responsibility. I mean, at one point, Salazar, he had said, it's, I have this quote here somewhere. He said, uh, it's the government's, it's the federal government's job to keep the boot on the neck of BP. I thought that was sort of a really <laughs> telling quote because, like, you know, it's their issue. It's your, But is it frustrating to have to depend on BP? And I'm wondering, like, what were those meetings like when they came to the White House? And how, how early on was it frustrating to sort of deal with them as a private company? And that's what ultimately came out of this, that that no assumption can ever be made about um, a private corporation having the capabilities to um, to deal with a problem of this scale, even if the law says that they have to. Um, you know, we found some problems that were identified early in the administration, but to see how compound they were um, throughout this, which is that um, for too many years, for decades really, there'd been the relationship between regulators and, and the oil industry was really incestuous and that there was some wink and a nod oversight going on. So BP, uh, BP I want to get back into the chronology here, BP early on tries to essentially cover it up with just shooting a ton of mud and tires and stuff at it. And 
they do this for a couple days in an effort to stop the flow of oil. Are you, what is, describe it from your vantage point as they're trying to make this thing happen. Did you think if they just shot more tires, it would work? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious though. You must be sitting there. Are you praying? Like, I remember please the God. Mud. I didn't remember the tires. The yeah, tires were there. That was a good pull. <laughs> the mud. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it took a while to get your arms around the fact of how difficult this problem would be to solve with the smartest engineers from. Yeah. I mean, you're, you must uh, be saying to be like, really mud and tires. Like that's, that's the answer here. Right. I mean, uh, it's crazy. Uh, that, that then escalated to, we're going to bomb it. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, look, and I remember the beginning too, you know, when the engineers got together, the notion of a relief well, um, which they eventually got to, seemed like it would take too long to be feasible, that there had to be a quicker fix, there had to be a quicker way um, to deal with the problem. Um, but just as much as they'd leaned in on new ways to do exploration, um, they hadn't really solved the problem um, before they went in and did that. It, it became clear that um, the answer didn't lie with the engineers at BP Literally the smartest engineers in the country on the public and private sector side um, needed to be consulted. In fact, engineers overseas were consulted. I remember there were meetings with uh, the Norwegians and others who uh, who had offshore drilling and, and had done it in new ways. Literally a global search for a solution. Okay, but I keep trying to get you to give us a time frame, but I'm curious, like, what was your expectation early on that uh, uh, when it would stop? I mean, you must have thought in the back of your head, okay, I won't be dealing with this through July. It, the, the spill happened started in April. Of course. I mean, it, something of this nature and scope had never happened before, I think. you were, But you were thinking, like, okay, by a couple of weeks, I'll be out of this. We'll be on to something else. I, I think that's right. Look, and it, I, we were sitting in a communication shop, right? Our job was to provide information and, and provide it early and provide it constantly and serve as a point of contact so that people understood operationally everything that was being done to deal with the oil spill. Um, but it became clear over time that, uh, you know, a simple operational answer uh, wasn't there. And how, um, the mood, how did the mood start to change? Well, anytime you're consumed entirely with a crisis, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, uh, dealing with problems as they come up, getting blasted on TV, um, the mood is a little bleak, (laughs) (laughs) uh, to say the least. Um, I think luckily this had been a team um, that had been significantly tested during the campaigns uh, and that was filled with people who'd managed crises before. Uh, I think, you know, Robert Gibbs in particular is somebody who um, uh, thrive is the wrong word, but but really knows how to handle and, and manage a crisis. Uh, and we learned a lot from him during that process. Uh, it was frustrating that there were people at the agencies who didn't seem to understand the the environment we were operating in. What do you mean by that? Um, You know, that when you have thousands of people involved in a response, individual agencies shouldn't be putting out pieces of information um, that aren't vetted and fact-checked and haven't gone 
through the broader operation so that they are presented in the appropriate way. Um, and that was a very broad description. You want to give us a specific example? <laughs> <laughs> Them Coast Guards, the public, <laughs> they were terrible. <laughs> well, how about this? What was the most frustrating moment of it all, if there was a singular moment? Um, you know, I think there were levels of it. There were um, officials who... Uh, who made insensitive comments or got over their skis. Um, there were statements made uh, before the facts were fully known that had to be walked back. Um, you know, one thing, uh, this was this became a narrative in the Obama administration around every crisis where we felt like the press was demanding anger and emotion from the president um, when our Part of our belief in the president was premised on the fact that he'd be level-headed in a crisis and wouldn't be, you know, bright red-faced shouting on television. Well, did he, you... did, he did say he wanted to know who's asked to kick, if you recall that quote. <laughs> did you write that line for Was that you? Um, <laughs> it seemed a little un- unlike him. Kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, apparently. Um, that wasn't a beer summit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there were. I don't want to. I don't want to reduce it to one thing. How about because, no? But a personal moment. Did you ever go home and just like throw shit against the wall? <laughs> Be like, God damn it! Get the split now, screen off. Now you're demanding that I get angry. Did, did um, you did, in your in your bathtub? Did you build like a replica of the spill that tried to figure it out? <laughs> uh, it's still there today. Okay, so that's a yes. Good. What were I'm curious? Like, what were your hours like during this crisis? Were they, I mean, were they, you know, were you working 12, 14 hour days or longer or? Yeah, no, it was, it was totally constant. I mean, I don't, I don't want to fall into the trap of, I mean, I still in media trainings today, I show footage of the CEO of BP at the time, Tony Hayward saying, you know, nobody (laughs) wanted to get their lives back more than him. (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was Um, so moving. You know, so I don't. I don't want to be the guy who said it was it was terrible for me because comparatively it wasn't bad at all for me. Sure. Uh, but it was it was totally constant for months on end and you know a, there were great inspiring amazing times in the Obama White House um that we'll all remember um but you also remember the times where it just seemed like you couldn't win and there was no way out and it would go on forever. And this is one of those times. Did it, go ahead. Did okay. you uh, ever call, I mean, the, the indelible image here for me is how cable would have the camera on the oil and it seemed like they never took it off, right? And so would you call up the cable companies and be like, hey, you know, it's just the same picture. It's like nonstop, but, you know, you might not we need were, it. We were actually, I mean, we were, <laughs> look, I, I think transparency in a crisis is good. I mean, we were we were for releasing the footage. It was incredibly frustrating for weeks and weeks on end. It, it was sort of like watching... Um, Geithner give his first speech when the the market tanked in the other corner of the screen <laughs> um, every day for four months on end. So that was. <laughs> or did you see the spill footage as like more of a fuck you to BP, like putting it on them as opposed to you guys, or was it, or was it both? Was it still bad? <laughs> I, I think. Look, I mean, it was 
that was a decision that was more about we didn't think it was going to be good for us, right? Um, but the country was focused on it, and we felt like the best thing we could do was to be totally transparent throughout the process about every idea that was shared, where we were at the time, any potential outcome. It's better to to hear it from us and see it from us, um, you know, than listen to somebody spreading inf- misinformation or condemning us all day. Was there any point early on where it felt actually hopeless? Like, we don't know what to do. Scientists aren't giving us an answer. We're throwing tires at this thing. That's the thing is there was always – maybe you lost confidence in them over time. But anytime the engineers got together, there was always, you know, the list of five ideas, uh, whether it was the dirt and the tires, the top kill, the bomb, uh, the – chemical that would dissolve the oil in the Gulf, a new set of skimmers, answers from Norway. You know, there there was always some list of ideas that seemed like they would help. Um, But I think nobody from the beginning anticipated how long it would take. I mean, it became the, it was the biggest environmental disaster the country had ever seen. Did people come up to you in your personal life, people who you knew not in politics, to offer suggestions on how to handle this? Um, well, that gets into the my schedule at the time, which is I think my, my personal life was a little desk and a little phone <laughs> in the White House. Um, so I think that was – But, limited. you know, like Uncle John didn't email you being like, hey, Ben, I got I this think idea. Uncle, Uncle John in this case would be reporters. Okay. You know, off the record, Turkish TV stopping by to say that, you know, if we could only – uh, you know, if we could only get a submarine down that could lower the pressure in the hole, then then everything would was be that, taken care of. So in a crisis moment, it does seem like everybody has the... Is that Turkish TV's idea? <laughs> the submarine? <laughs> really? I'll give you their contact information so you can thank them for solving the problem. But it was, <laughs> you know, it, it, there, there are a set of people who in a crisis suddenly become an expert on the issue with, with all of the solutions. Oh, sure. And did anyone from past administrations reach out to you, uh, from past administration comm shops to reach out to you about, you know, maybe it was just sort of like, you know, it's going to be all right or buck up, that type of thing. But did you get any of that? Um, You know, I I actually, I remember um, talking to uh, some of the Bush people during, or I think it was either during or right in the aftermath of Katrina. Um, And I remember them saying, you know, on the inside, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. Um, You know, you're seeing an amplification of that in the media. And I think that that was true about the oil spill as well. So the day that it gets capped, describe it. Um. There was nothing but relief at that point, right? I mean, it didn't it didn't feel like a win. Um, it felt like an exhale of the small amount of breath that you had left in your body. Um, and uh, even if you look back at the stories that ran in the weeks after the oil spill, um, they still portrayed the president. Um, in an incredibly dark way, like he couldn't recover the presidency, even though the problem had been dealt with, that it was a bad omen for everything else to come. 
um, that a window had been closed to accomplish other things. So, um, you know, it was the day the well got capped didn't seem like an ending to the story. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But just watching it get capped, I mean, you must have been like, you know, doing somersaults and car wheels. <laughs> be like, finally, fuck yeah. <laughs> we didn't even have to bomb the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I mean, after you go through something like that, after, I don't know, do people go through that like at the end of the Appalachian Trail I mean they're just yes, too, they're, too, I think, they're too tired obviously <laughs> I thought maybe you'd step out on the White House lawn or whatever like have a cigarette just a cigar <laughs> or you know you'd smoke one with Obama yeah cigarette. we made it we made it to the end thank god um, when you look back at all this stuff I've heard people say this um, from the administration that um, of all the political crises I'm not talking about shootings but political crises, that this one was the worst, in part because there was a sense of helplessness, uh, that this wasn't a problem you created, but one you had to deal with. Is that fair? I think the, I think the sense of helplessness is fair, right? I mean, there's, uh, there are things that result from bad strategy or political decisions that you can change course on, uh, that you can try to go out and explain. Um, but when all you can do is to say, we're doing the following 15 things to solve a problem, um, and that problem still isn't solved, and there's nothing you can do about it until the smartest engineer in the world comes up with a better solution, that's incredibly fu- frustrating because at that point, you're not really dealing with politics anymore. You're not dealing with territory that you know how to deal with. Um, you're simply trying to explain something that hasn't been solved. And so I think it was um, – and there's no one to attack. <laughs> you can't, uh, you can't for, go back and Tony forth Schwartz, with the other right? side. <laughs> uh, Tony Hayward. Tony Hayward, that's right. Um, uh, so – 
uh, no, it was it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, it'll always, in my mind, be, uh, you know, the crisis example of um, of trying to weather an extremely intractable problem without simple solutions. That was former White House Assistant Press Secretary Ben LeBolt. Canada Confessional was produced and edited by Zach Young, who also wrote our theme music. If you're enjoying this season of the show, please continue to spread the word. Next week, we return to our regular programming as Sam and I sit down with Annette Tadeo, a Florida Democrat whose 2016 congressional campaign was targeted by Russian hackers. See you then. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.